To shield this retreat from any legal backlash, I won't reveal the name or location. If you're interested in attending this ceremony, please email me through my website. It was winter when my friend called to invite me to an ayahuasca ceremony. She had attended different ceremonies five or six times before, but her latest experience was apparently phenomenal. It's hosted by a married couple on their reserve deep in the forest, she said. They work with a Colombian shaman who's held ayahuasca ceremonies for 21 years. The location is absolutely beautiful, and the energy they create is so supportive and loving. You need to look it up. They require a phone call to assess your mental stability and healing intentions. I'm sure they'll approve you. Let me know what you think and what dates might be good for you. She could hardly finish when I replied, I'm in. You tell me when you want to go and we'll make it work. My premonition had finally arrived. I'd spent the past couple of years healing as much as I could for this inevitable moment. I had started to forgive the past and loved myself a lot more than I was used to. I confessed to everyone, even my parents, that I practiced the psychic arts and no one had yet called me crazy. In fact, most everyone said they'd known for a while, and those who just found out didn't seem surprised. People certainly asked questions, some curious, some devil's advocate, but no one left me. That was a big turning point in my emotional life. A weight lifted from my shoulders. One person who was instrumental in my healing process was my therapist at the time, Nancy Adelman. Though I had been in therapy on and off since I was 12, I hadn't spoken to any of them about my psychic abilities. I was terrified I'd be diagnosed with a mental disorder, or worse, taken away to a psych ward in an effort to fix me. But those fears had calmed down over the years, and I knew I needed to talk to someone. I started looking for a therapist that could communicate with me on an intellectual, emotional, and spiritual level. I found a website that listed therapists along with their services, and there was Nancy at the top of the list. I immediately honed in on an Arizona-style desert blanket hanging in the background of her profile photo. Her bio hinted at a more open-minded perspective, but I sensed she was a shaman or worked with shamanism. It turned out I was right. She was able to meet me where I was, Our sessions together helped soften my authoritative inner voice and build trust in my intuition. She'd even worked with clients after they'd taken ayahuasca, helping them integrate the shadows that arose from their trip. I began working with her a few weeks before my ayahuasca journey, another sign that I was going the right way. My friend and I first tried to attend the ceremony in July, but complications in our schedules forced us to wait until the fall. We ended up rescheduling for my birthday weekend. It felt appropriate, the potential for rebirth on the day of my birth. I planned to fly to her home in upstate New York, where we'd stay for a day to rest and mentally prepare for the nine-hour drive to the retreat. After cashing in my flyer miles, the flight ended up costing only $11. The synchronicities would continue throughout the trip. The night before my flight, I dreamt I was at the ceremony, on the floor, 
sick from the medicine. Everyone around me was having a transcendent experience, but I was getting nothing. All I saw was blackness, and all I felt was nauseous. I woke up crying, feeling like I had already failed. What if this didn't work for me? What if I'm blocked? What if she rejects me? In the morning, I was leisurely putting things together, trying not to think about the dream. I was on time to arrive at the airport two hours early. I decided to pull a couple tarot cards to get a read on the day. I got the Four of Swords reversed and the Wheel of Fortune reversed. Suddenly, I had an overwhelming sense that I might miss my flight if I didn't hurry up. So I quickly grabbed my things and headed out the door. First, the subway to the airport took over 20 minutes to arrive. Next, the air train that drops flyers off at each terminal had broken down. Instead, I had to board a bus where my terminal changed from the first to the last stop, adding another hour to the delay. I finally got through security and ran what felt like a mile to my gate, getting there as they were boarding the flight. I was so thankful to Taro for giving me the heads up. I certainly wouldn't have made it on time. The flight was short, an hour from takeoff to landing. My friend picked me up from the airport, and as soon as I got in the car, we started catching up on lost time. She's the type of person you both look up to and feel totally comfortable with. She spoke about the difficulties of her divorce, the surprising new love that shook up her life, her struggles with social work and her ongoing activism. I talked to her about the problems in my relationship, my time in a Christian cult and the reappearance of Ishtar, healing from my childhood, and my excitement for ayahuasca. I didn't tell her about the bad dream I had. I didn't want to believe it could come true. We arrived at her apartment and settled in. She lived in a lovely building on a quiet block with lush trees. My friend wanted to walk me through what to expect. I had looked up the retreat after we talked earlier that year. It was on a beautiful reserve of land in the middle of a forest with a big pond you could walk around. The ceremony took place over two nights, and all food was provided by the hosts. The website displayed photos of what looked like the ceremonial space, a dark empty cabin where a large, circular, multicolored art installation hung in front of a window. My friend filled in the rest of the details. The retreat was owned and operated by a lesbian couple who bought the house and the property that came with a large indoor pool house. They renovated the main house for personal use, but instead of reviving the pool, they left it drained, choosing instead to put a ton of crystals along the bottom and board up the top to make a space for ceremonies. That's why it looked like a cabin now. This ceremony space connected to a large living room that led to a couple of bedrooms where we'd sleep during the day. I remembered I had requested we book a private bedroom rather than the living room floor just in case I went crazy or saw difficult visions I couldn't handle. After prayers and cleansing led by the shaman and our hosts, everyone would line up to drink the plant medicine. They'd then return to their sleeping bags that lay along the wall and await the effects. 
She went on to tell me some of the hallucinations she experienced the last time she visited the retreat. She mainly saw colors and symbols, but at one point, she felt like she was in a womb with the feeling of a heartbeat surrounding her. She insisted there weren't adequate words to describe what it felt like to be inside of a womb. It was so visceral, almost like a simulation. She was ready to try again to see if she could let go even more. The next morning, my friend ran out to grab us provisions and came back with birthday cupcakes. In all the excitement, I forgot it was almost my birthday, just one more day. We packed up the car with our sleeping bags, heavy clothing, and yoga mats for the floor. We hopped in the car, rolled down the windows, blasted some music, and headed off for our journey. We were to arrive by 8.30 that evening as the first ceremony began around 11. About an hour before we arrived, a rainstorm came pouring through the forest. We had no cell service for the GPS and could hardly see the turnoffs directed in the email, but since she had been there once before, we somehow found the dirt road that led us to the retreat. We parked the car and ran into the house. One of the hosts welcomed us and immediately instructed us to put our phones in a Ziploc bag to be retrieved at the end of the retreat. I was happy to fully unplug. We were escorted into the living room of the couple's personal home for a meet and greet. It was beautifully renovated, homey and comfortable. Everyone sat in a circle, softly chatting. I was surprised at the diversity. There were young people, older people, a mother with her college-aged kids, married couples, people alone and with friends from all different parts of the Northeast region. We were all there hoping for a cure, a sign, a transformative vision that would help us heal. Finally, the last of the guests had arrived. It was only a matter of time now. I felt my heart beating wildly as if I was at the top of a roller coaster. One of the hosts quieted the room. She was ready to begin. In the next episode, I'll describe the incredible two-day ceremony. But for now, we'll go on to the sevens. The sevens in the minor arcana represent refinement and self-mastery. When you pull a seven, you're being tested or tempted as determined by the element of the suit. Numerology labels sevens as reevaluation and responsibility. They begin group three, which indicates the energy of change. The Seven of Wands is self-defense or maintaining control of your decisions. You may take a side that others disagree with, or you may push back against an opposing force. You have the strength and self-confidence to stand your ground against whatever comes your way. This is about autonomy and the right to do as you please, regardless of others' opinions or attacks. When I pull the Seven of Wands in a reading, I know the person is in an uncomfortable position when it comes to what others want them to do. There's a disagreement over choices, but they're holding strong. They may be finding it hard to receive support, but sometimes you have to make unpopular decisions that better align with your heart or vision. They could also be going up against family or colleagues that want them to conform, but the person is remaining grounded in their own convictions. 
When I pull the seven of wands for myself, I know I'm able to fend off outside persuasion. I am comfortable with my beliefs and feel a sense of pride in defending them. I may have people coming for me that day, but I'm able to brush them aside. Whatever the topic, I know in my heart and mind that I'm making the right decisions. The Seven of Cups is about imagination and possibilities. You may have many doors open to you, but you're not sure which will yield the happiness you're looking for. Maybe one way seems perfect now, but turns out to be the worst choice later. This is self-mastery over fantasy. Remember that every decision isn't final and not one choice alone crafts the entirety of your life. When I pull this card in a reading, I know the person has many possible options available to them. They could be financially ready to move, but unsure whether they want to stay nearby or try a new city. Or maybe they're in a serious relationship, uncertain what the next stages will bring. There's no guarantee any way is the right way, but they're feeling a desire to choose a direction that they feel will make them happiest. When I pull this card in my own readings, I'm imagining all possibilities. I'm going over what could happen if I were to go one way or the other, still in the planning and fantasizing stage. I'm not totally sure yet what will make me happiest. I only know I'm ready for a change in my life that brings new adventures and joy. The Seven of Swords is about strategy and opportunism. You're taking what you can get, regardless of the consequences. This can be sneaky behavior, self-sabotage, compulsions, or a lapse in judgment. These are secrets you keep from others or secrets that are kept from you. You're operating on a scarcity mindset, dealing with habits or desires that offer a dopamine rush, never truly satisfying your deeper needs. When I pull this card in a reading, I know the person is considering taking a chance or opportunity that seems more desperate than helpful. Maybe they're trying to eat healthy foods, but grab sweets whenever they're available. Or maybe they take whatever a lover has to offer them, even if it's just crumbs. If this card has acted upon the person I'm reading, there's sneaky behavior going on behind their back. Cheating scandals, plagiarism, lying about quitting a vice, or a surprise retaliation are some of the possible problems they'll have to face from an outside source. When I get this card in my own readings, I know I'm self-sabotaging, settling for less due to my fear of not having anything at all. I'm growing tired of being so meticulous and honest. I may consider an easier way. The problem with taking rather than earning is that you'll always have to take to sustain yourself. On a lighter note, this card can also tell me I have to think my way out of something. Maybe there's a plan I can come up with or a way to get what I need without having to jump through hoops. The Seven of Pentacles is about effort and patience. You've found something you want to put your all into and you're not afraid of the hard work it will take to achieve it. The energy you put into this will bear fruit, but you'll have to wait for it. This card warns against rushing as all good things take time to grow. This card represents a good investment of your time and money. When I pull this card in a reading, I know the person is waiting for something to come of their efforts. They could have completed a project, now waiting for the results. This endeavor required a good deal of their focus, 
so they may be fixated and deeply attached to the outcome. They could be assessing what they have, wondering if this is still worth the time and energy. This card shows a positive ending, though the weight is hard. When I pull this card in my own readings, I know that whatever I'm doing at the moment is time well spent. I am investing in the right activities or knowledge that will bear useful fruit. Though I'm impatient and overly focused on the results, I try to relax and let the process unfold naturally. I hope to see you all at the next episode. Take care and blessed be.